Today is Tuesday, the 10th of December, and it is 1 o'clock. We're at 301 Van S. Avenue, Suite 125, and I'd like to call the first item on the agenda, the roll call. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm new at this, so apologies in advance. No apologies. We, we have a uh, shot. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Charles Collins. Present. Uh, Commissioner Roberto Ordenhan. Present. Commissioner Janine Sheila. Be here. Oh, present. Uh, Commissioner Nabil Musa. Uh, not present. Uh, Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington. I'm here. Uh, Commissioner Marcus Shelby. Present. Uh, we have a quorum. Yeah, we have a quorum. <laughs> um, agenda item number two is general public comment. Uh, this allows members of the public to bring matters within the purview of the committee and suggest new items. Is there any public comment? Seeing none, may I move now to open discussion? Seeing none, may I move to agenda item number three, the Director of Cultural Affairs report, Tom McCain. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, good afternoon, colleagues, commissioners. Um, and I want to give a special welcome to our colleagues from Grants for the Arts. We have uh, Director of Grants for the Arts, Matthew Godot, um, the Deputy Director, is that correct? Associate Director. Associate yes. Director, Jason Blackwell. Um, so <laughs> just giving you a promotion here. Uh, but thank you both for being here. Um, and they're joining us um, specifically to take part in our conversation about the Racial Equity Initiative um, that is a part of our Arts Impact Endowment. Um, just a few updates, and then I'll invite our Director of Community Investments, Barbara Mumby, and Senior Program Officer, Jeremy Bonillo, to fill in any gaps in my report. Um, I just wanted to start with an update on the city's budget process. Um, there are a few budget items in the works. Uh, I think most relevant to this committee, uh, grants for the Arts and the Arts Commission will be going before the Board of Supervisors Budget and Finance Committee tomorrow morning to request for release of reserves for the approximate 2.6 million in arts impact uh, monies uh, that were set on reserve as part of this budget, this last um, budget cycle. So we'll be presenting uh, before the Budget and Finance Committee members with an overview of the cultural services allocation plan that you all have approved and that our city administrator, Naomi Kelly, has signed off on. Um, we've had some good preliminary conversations with the chair, and I think we're well uh, prepared to go before the board tomorrow to request those funds. Um, for those that don't know, the budget legislative analysts on occasion in the budget process will recommend that certain funds get put on reserve uh, for release at a later date. Uh, the rationale here was that we had just completed the cultural services allocation plan um, and they did want a more thorough presentation. We offered to do that as a part of the budget process this year, but given all that's going on with the citywide budget at that time, they had requested we come back. So we are scheduled to do that tomorrow um, and then we'll be eager to begin implementation on the impact endowment after we have that release at the committee level. Uh, on other budget notes, we will be starting the fiscal year 21, fiscal year 22, two-year budget cycle um, shortly. The mayor is slated to release budget instructions. The mayor's office will be releasing budget instructions on Monday, December 16th. 
Um, so we'll get our targets at that time, um, and then we'll go first into the capital planning committee budget process for capital, uh, specifically capital for our city-owned cultural center buildings, as well as for the civic art collection. Um, and then we will be submitting our uh, draft budget to the mayor's office by what's typically a late February deadline. There is some legislation before the board that has changed the city's budget process slightly. Um, Supervisor Sandra Fewer, who chairs the Budget and Finance Committee, has introduced legislation that would require all city departments and city divisions to host uh, some form of town hall or community process for input on the budget. Um, and it sets certain timeframes by which that community input would be mandated. Um, we've always, as a commission, had at least two hearings that are public uh, for comment or engagement around our budget priorities. Uh, the only distinction would be that right now the hearings, as we have them at the executive committee level and then full commission, our February full commission, when the commission typically hears a budget presentation and votes on our budget submission, um, technically doesn't give the window that's being proposed in the legislature. So a little bit differently, you will see that on the December executive committee agenda, we will be taking public comment on budget priorities. So um, we're basically adding one step to the budget process for the Arts Commission, uh, where the budget uh, will be first introduced at the December executive committee. Um, so there will be a chance for commissioners to hear a brief overview of the budget instructions, uh, as well as to allow members of the public to attend and give comment on our budget priorities. We will then hear again at the January Executive Committee. Uh, we will have a more thorough budget presentation from our um, interim Deputy Director of Finance Administration, Rebecca Crowell, and again take public comment on the budget. Uh, and then a third time at the full commission in February. So uh, that's kind of just a rough outline for the budget process for the fiscal year 21-22 years. Um, some programmatic updates, I just wanted to congratulate all the community investments team and a special congratulations and thank you to our director of community investments, Barbara Mumby, for an incredible celebration with Buffy St. Marie. Uh, I know many of you were there to join us, uh, but in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the occupation of Alcatraz um, and to honor those that uh, stood up in that moment to occupy uh, traditional Ohlone land. And I just thought it was such an incredible night. Uh, the Herbs Theater was sold out. Um, we had a wait list to get in, and it was such a moving evening. Um, we also honored Michael Smith, um, the founder of the American Indian Film Festival, uh, with a beautiful film um, tribute, uh, as well as a couple of other videos, one that uh, showcase community activism that led to the removal of the early day statue at the Pioneer Monument here in the Civic Center. Um, so I just want to thank all the staff who worked so hard to make that happen. I know there's a lot of work that went into that evening, but it was a really a phenomenal event. Um, and then also just a big thank you to staff for all the work that led us to the closing of our grant guidelines. Um, so all of our cultural equity endowment grant guidelines um, have now closed, um, I believe correctly, they've all closed and so there's a lot of last minute calls and um, an effort to get everybody's applications in on time so congratulations to the staff who I know have been working really hard to make sure we got to close those deadlines without any hitches and so um, I think we've, we've gotten through that benchmark. There's a lot of work still ahead obviously but uh, congratulations to the team for getting us through uh, the deadline. Um, so that's those are the items I wanted to highlight. I don't know if there are additional things that either uh, Director Mumby or Benio would like to, to add to that. 
Are we talking about this now? Uh, if you wanted to showcase anything, I'm not, mm -hmm. obviously it was on the agenda, but if you wanted to give any overview, it would be fun to do so now. Well, we saw an incredible increase in applications this year with over um, an $8 million grant request amount. Um, and I just want to congratulate the team for migrating over and off of an old grants management system that shut down and moved into a grant management system that will be integrated with Salesforce in the near future. So more to come on that. Um, one last thing I will note is also a wonderful celebration. Many of us were at the Bindlestiff 30th anniversary. Uh, Bindlestiff has been a longtime grantee of the Arts Commission through the Cultural Equity Endowment, as well as a grantee of uh, Grants for the Arts. And they had an incredible 30th anniversary celebration at Some Arts Cultural Center on Saturday night. And many of us were there, and it was really an incredible event. They packed the house at Some Arts. Um, I think they had a sold out attendance there. So it was a really great program, lots of performances, and kind of the highlights of the 30 years of uh, Bindle Stuff. So just a congratulations to Bindle Stuff on their 30th anniversary as well. Um, and that concludes my report for today, Tuesday, December 10th. Thank you very much. Is there any public comment on the director's report? Any commission discussion? Ms. Monday? Actually, before you close out your report, Tom, I believe we're going to be presenting the Racial Equity Initiative. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was a separate agenda item, yeah. so I apologize. So I will then now yield to my colleagues, <laughs> as well as to our colleagues at Grants for the Arts, to walk us through a conversation um, on the Racial Equity Initiative. Uh, as a reminder, this is a follow-up to the Community Investments Committee's conversation two months ago. Um, where we discussed the $225,000 allocation from the Arts Impact Endowment. It was from the first six months. Uh, you all may recall that from January 1 to June 30th of 2019, uh, the budget uh, afforded us the first six months of the new property funds. Um, and so we set aside a rainy day reserve fund and also made an initial dedicated investment to a racial equity initiative in partnership with Grants for the Arts. So with that, my apologies for overlooking that. I thought it was a separate agenda item. Uh, but I will turn it over to uh, Director Mumby, Bonillo, and Blackwell to walk us through uh, the staff's work to date and some uh, proposal to the commission for consideration. Thank you, Director Dakini. Um, I'm going to leave most of the presentation up to um, Senior Program Officer Jaron Bonilla, who's been working really hard to engage not only our team, but the broader staff at the Arts Commission, utilizing our Racial Equity Working Group to help um, provide input to these proposals, as well as through our, our sister agency at Grants for the Arts. Um, so I will turn it over to Senior Program Officer Jaron Bonilla, who will walk you through the presentation. Thank you, Director Moby, and um, good afternoon, Commissioners. It's my great pleasure to introduce the proposals that staff have worked so collaboratively together to develop these, and I hope um, look forward to a very robust discussion. I'm also pleased to be joined by Associate Director of Grants for the Arts, Jason Blackwell, who will also provide some context and additional considerations to the proposals we'll share with you today. As you um, reminding you that it's jointly administered between Grants for the Arts and the Arts Commission and that all the proposals were developed um, jointly. And we also workshop them through the Racial Equity um, Initiative Working Group. 
Um, each proposal's um, total cost meets the 200 and I have a figure. <laughs> um, and each, I want to um, say, point out that each of the proposals meet the $225,000 budget. The Racial Equity Initiative addresses the systemic barriers that create inequities and aims to deepen racial equity work within the broader San Francisco arts ecosystem. And what we started with was a general framework to begin to develop the proposals, which include representation, access, and power. Representation looks at positioning artists as creative problem solvers to create work that clarifies an argument, galvanizes communities, and inspires alternate realities. We looked at access as providing a launch pad for diverse talent to contribute to the art sector. And power is investing in the change management needed to reflect principles of equity in leadership, organizational culture shifts, policies, and people. And the way that we translated that is in our first proposal is artists and communities in, in power. This partnership grant harnesses the power of the arts to address racial justice issues in our communities. It identifies artists as creative problem solvers to create work that clarifies an argument, galvanizes communities, and creates awareness around community issues. An intermediary would administer approximately five two-year grants of $20,000 to support partnerships between civic-minded cultural workers and movement-building organizations that integrate an art-based strategy to their work. The cohort learning and support mechanisms would be to support grantees and cross-center arts-building movements, to foster a learning community among cultural workers, and to allow participants to exchange ideas among wisdom, problem solve amongst peers, and share resources. Some of the objectives and outcomes we're looking at are in knowing that system, uh, systemic oppression and racial injustice that has accumulated over the generations is a daunting task. But this initiative aims to cultivate cultural workers who see their work as part of something larger, to support the integration of an arts-based organizing strategy, and to manifest racially equitable policy changes. Some examples of impact from prior uh, projects that have come out of research from this initiative include a student-led theater action that raises awareness around transit inequity, or video profiles of incarcerated youth of color who are humanized by their storytelling and raising awareness on juvenile justice issues. Our second proposal is an arts equity fellowship. Fellows will gain hands-on professional experience, skills, mentoring, and access to networks. Through an application process, fellows would be able to select the areas they are most interested in learning about, from human resources, finance, programming, develop, and curation. The initiative would provide benefits for all stakeholders, while diversifying and building capacity within the arts and cultural sector as a whole. Objectives and outcomes include being a launch pad for early mid-career professionals, 
addressing the lack of diversity in arts and cultural organizations, and transforming opportunities for individuals that may not have access to professional networks. Some benefits of the host organizations include sharing their knowledge and expertise to cultivate future arts leaders, to build capacity, and to amplify their racial equity commitment by investing in diverse talent. Our final proposal uh, is the Reimagining Leadership Initiative, which will support arts organizations to facilitate and maintain cross-racial leadership transitions by addressing racial and leadership gaps and support organizations that are already deeply focused on equity work and to facilitate and maintain the strong leadership within their arts organizations. An intermediary would administer the grant making of approximately $40,000 to five organizations and over an 18 month period provide cohort learning and development focus on an organizational assessment to measure the internal operations of the organization's strength and weakness on a racial equity continuum, developing tools for encouraging and fostering meaningful organizational culture shifts and change management, building authentic relationships between staff and board, and at the end of the 18 months, have a clear plan for implementation and evaluation with a racial equity work plan and evaluation toolkit. These are some of the issues that we've seen in our research facing nonprofit executives of colors and the Building uh, Movement Project's 2018 Race to Lead series reported that quote, people of color seeking leadership positions face systemic barriers to advancement, ranging from fewer networks and connections for advancing their careers and lack support from white leadership and boards. We also see that leaders of color organizations have smaller organizational budgets. They uh, often have more challenges in their relationships with board of directors and that they often take more steps to make their organizations more equitable, inclusive, and diverse. Some of the outcomes that we anticipate in this initiative are to develop organizational structures that support leaders of color, that there's longevity in leadership positions in our arts organizations, and that there are healthier work environments. For example, self-reported health indicators, reduced stress, open communication, self-care practices, and work-life balance are brought into the work environment. And now I'm gonna pass it over to my colleague, Jason Blackwell, Associate Director for Grants for the Arts, to share some additional considerations and next steps. With the additional considerations, it's really great to know that um, a lot of our thinking at Grants for the Arts aligned with the Arts Commission's thinking. Um, when professional development can be wrapped into the, uh, the fellowship program, the individual artists working in civic practice can be wrapped into the artists and communities of power, and also board and staff development is wrapped up into the reimagining leadership. The only outlier that we had in consideration is competing arts funders, um, getting more people in the room that can provide a little more sustainable impact and resources, and how they can have rethink their thinking around um, racial equity when it moves and moving 
the arts ecosystem forward. So that's the only outlier that we had in consideration, but the other three were definitely wrapped right into the other three main proposals that you guys heard of today. Um, the following steps after this um, conversation would be to take any feedback the commission has, as well as the feedback from the city administrator, and then wrap those into whichever um, recommendation you guys put forward, and then we'll move forward in administering it jointly with our commission. That's all. Thank you, Jason. This final slide is the rubric overview. It just gives you a high level summary of each of the um, proposals, the arts and communities in power, the arts equity fellows, and their reimagining leadership. It highlights um, who would be eligible, um, the objectives and outcomes, any cohort um, learning and intermediary that would be involved, and the cost. And as I mentioned, currently all of the proposals um, have been scaled to meet the $225,000 budget. Thank you so much for all the good work, and I want to thank all the staff who I know took part through the Racial Equity Working Group at the Arts Commission to give input, um, and particularly the community investments team members that kind of helped workshop these different ideas. Um, so just to recap, the commission had discussed kind of the broad, the world of opportunity that we would have in advancing racial equity, but also that this is a finite amount of resource, and so to try to kind of right-size that with outcomes and impact that might might be meaningful, but also have the appropriate depth that we would want to in honoring this work. Um, so, you know, I think as our conversation on the staff level have have evolved, we've discussed the fact that we need to be looking at racial equity in all of our work. So, in all of our grant making. So, I want to be clear that this is, you know, kind of a complement to our investments through the cultural equity endowment, through our ongoing support of grantees, um, our partnerships with private philanthropy, and helping them work with us in advancing racial equity through the broader arts ecosystem. Um, so, in no way should we be thinking that this is going to be distinct from that work. It's meant to be a good complement. And so I think as we think through the three different proposals before the committee, it would be good to be thinking, well, how do these complement and align the grant-making strategies of the Arts Commission and Grants for the Arts? What might be our future resource commitments as we go into the budget process? You know, what else might we want to contribute through other dollars and, you know, do we set aside a portion of the cultural equity endowment or other, um, uh, you know, the cultural center endowment, for instance, where we might be making complementary investments? And so those are just some of the thoughts I know that have emerged is the attention is always going to be the breadth and the depth. So um, we want to make sure we're kind of striking the right balance, um, especially as we're kind of launching this. And again, we would be working closely with the new Office of Racial Equity and the Human Rights Commission that will be overseeing the Office of Racial Equity. But before we started those deeper partnership conversations, we wanted to make sure that the commission had a chance to kind of weigh in on these proposals and, and provide either any suggested edits, but then also give some direction on which of the proposals commissioners are feeling might be most in line with their vision for how we would advance the, uh, how we would go forth with this racial equity initiative. If I may add to that, and I think what um, Jason Blackwell has has also contributed around convening other funders, because I think um, when we think about sustainability of something, you know, we're creating something within a finite period of time, but if it does have impact, how do we continue that? So 
the the concept of convening other funders in the room to discuss long-term sustainability of something that may have a strong impact is important. Um, and if you recall, you may not recall that um, through the CSAP, we we did anticipate every year taking a small portion to put toward a racial equity racial equity work. I believe it was fifty thousand dollars annually, as well as for evaluation. So there is some money that we could continue to put toward this work ongoing, but of course it's nowhere near the the initial seeding funds that we have. But then looking at those conversations um, with other funders to see how they would maybe want to partner with us. And before we move on, maybe I could ask uh, both Matthew and Jason to let us know a bit about the decision-making process within Grants for the Arts relative to this. Okay. Um, uh, with this particular, any particular grant program uh, specific? No, with respect to this uh, categorical grant that we are going to make a decision upon at some point in time. Yes. Just wanted to try to get into your thinking. You know, we, we know how we think here. We're a committee of a commission. But what is the apparatus within Grants for the Arts for arriving at um, your outside staff recommendations for how you proceed? Since our commission is farther along, uh, I would say with this work particularly, um, we are just starting to engage in how to embed racial equity into our grant making processes. Um, right now, we um, completely retooled our new general operating support grant to have a focus on community development, on collaboration and partnerships, as well as space utilization, and to like find a more to hear from the community more so what um, they want to invest money in and how we should move in our general operating support. Um, our committee process is that staff recommendations are given to an advisory panel. An advisory panel then reviews those, uh, those recommendations and then we put forth them towards the city administrator who has final approval on that. So that's how the approval process takes place. Um, we are now, start. we're gonna start to engage in a racial equity um, plan to look over our organizations that are participating in our general operating support and see if they have any type of leaning towards how they're going to move towards that work, um, but we haven't implemented any of that yet. Yeah, no, that was perfect. I mean, we are, unlike the Arts Commission, we are a division of the City Administrator's Office, so it's not like we have our own independent um, activities. We take our direction from the City Administrator and then by, by the overall policies of the City Administrator's Office, which is a number of departments and divisions, and we're one small aspect of that. Um, but this was kind of an inaugural first step in collaboration between the Arts Commission and Grants of the Arts, and I would say it was truly that, it was collaborative, where our staff working with the Arts Commission, not just on this specific as aspect of the um, Arts Impact Endowment, but the overall cultural services allocation plan. Um, and I think it's going really well. I, mean, I think it's really interesting that we are collaborating on a number of fronts, but specifically on this area with this fund and administering it. Um, and the city administrator has opined and given her thoughts on all of this um, following the recommendations that were made by the Arts Commission previously. Um, so we're good to go in that area. <laughs> um, and so I think, yeah, I think this is, I mean, this is something new for all of us in this collaboration and coming up with um, plans for implementing this specific aspect of the Arts Impact Endowment. Yeah, and I think specific to the, the proposals before the committee today, so, you know, we've been briefing Naomi Kelly, the city administrator, throughout the process. She signed off on the cultural services allocation plan 
sometime this spring, I'm forgetting March, March. maybe February, March, March. March. Um, then I think the idea would be today, given what the commission might preference is one of these three tracks or three proposals, or even some modification of them, whatever might be the input, we would then take that to the city administrator at a more drill down level to kind of get her input and her agreement that that's the right way to go forward. Then we would come back, obviously, with some much clearer shape of what the RFP would look like or the RFP uh, process to whether that be an intermediary or whether that be a competitive grant to organizations themselves or you know the, the three different options before us or some iteration that you might conceive of a little bit differently than these three. Uh, but this is the staff's good thinking and I think it's been really rooted and I really again thank everybody for the research and looking at national models on this work and then also thinking about, um, I know Commissioner Parker Pennington, you've been a part of the kind of self-identified racial equity working group that grew out of the training we did in partnership with um, the San Francisco Symphony and that had been initially read by our former director, um, pardon me, our former uh, senior data and racial equity analyst, Dr. Antang Dao Shaw. So I know some of the things we've heard from that group is the, the need to be resourced to do the work and to have the continuity. Um, I think there's been some concerns I've heard, and, and I invite you, Commissioner, to share, but that there's been kind of a drop-in model where people kind of come and go, and it hasn't provided that consistency for the depth of work that we feel, you know, we know this work requires, which is to be resourced and to, to have the continuity of a period of time with clear outcomes um, and support. And so I don't know if you wanted to maybe share some of your thoughts about what you've heard from that group. Sure, thank you. Um, I, Director, I, um, I do have a question though. So or is, is the proposal on the table? First of all, I really like everything I'm seeing and that you've reviewed and, and it's really exciting to be moving forward in this space. Um, because I have been a little bit embedded with the racial equity and arts working group, uh, you know, since since March. So, uh, and that's a very you know broad and diverse group of organizations, you know, from the symphony and the opera, you know, MoMA to you know uh, Rodessa Jones and you know um, Afro Solo and you know so it's it's covering the range and uh, in that respect it's a little bit like trying to boil the ocean because you have all these people with all these you know all these stakeholders with great passion for what they're doing and wanting to bring more equity uh, to everything that we're doing in the city um, and trying to find their way so the group has been sort of trying to find their way so um, and so the, the thing that I, I wanted to ask about is because you have three really interesting proposals and I'm wondering are we expected to select one of the three for you to you know further develop to operationalize or what, what, what's, what's the outcome you're looking for today? We couldn't choose which one, so now we're bringing them to you. I mean, Tom and I did think about this, you know, and I did speak with um, Commissioner Collins briefly, but it could be that we just, each one of you, let us know which one resonates the most with you, or a modification or an iteration. It's really about a dialogue to see if there is one that really speaks to you more and how could it be modified or speak even more to you. So it's more of that dialogue to help us shape and narrow our focus so that we can go forward and, and further develop it. Right, right. Okay, so um, so so my you know observation is first of all that you know the landscape of uh, arts and equity in the arts in San Francisco is extremely complicated and I mean I 
just jumped in this year to the commission, and it's like, really? Um, it's amazing the, how robust it is and how complicated it is to get anything to actually move forward and to build a foundation. And this is really like a culture change process while you're developing people in the space. And I, you know, I think we're, we're sort of muddling through in, in that whole process. The thing that um, I've talked with Tom the most about uh, that I see in this that I really do like is the Arts Equity Fellows, because what I, in listening to the, the different people in the group, it's pretty clear that everyone is somewhere on a learning curve, and there's some continuum on even understanding what does it mean to manifest racial equity in the arts, you know, in any city, and here we are in San Francisco, and we have this certain composition of very large, well-funded, and endowed arts organizations, and then you have the, those that are struggling to present their art and deliver it, and they need resources and support, um, uh, and people need a foundation of knowledge and understanding about what they're trying to do in this space, so the idea of the Arts Equity Fellows being a group of people, almost like ambassadors, to go through some kind of training that will get them to a point where they can help their organizations internally and, and even pull in some of the things that you have in the other pieces of these three proposals to help develop their organization towards a goal that really hits at, like, like I've been going to the symphony a lot more since you know, I have a friend on this working group at the symphony, so I feel a lot of tickets now. <laughs> and um, what, I, what I had said in the beginning is, you know, like, I haven't been going to the symphony since they stopped doing the Colors of Christmas, right, where they had all these people, people rising and, just, you know, it was, like, you know, interesting people. So I'd go to the symphony for that, but, you know, for the classic stuff I wouldn't go, but now they're really struggling to change their, their audience. Um, and so they have one set of issues. And then, you know, you have the African American Shakespeare Company has a completely other set of issues. But we're, you know, we're so, I see the need for uh, the reimagining leadership, helping someone like a Sherry Young, who's the, you know, executive director of African American Shakespeare, get kind of to the next level with what they're trying to do as an organization so we don't lose them from San Francisco, which is a very clear risk in organizations like that that are trying to survive um, in San Francisco. Um, so people like her and, you know, Thomas Robert Simpson, Solo, you know, I could name a bunch of people who could really use some development as leaders because they obviously don't have it. I mean, I, you know, I asked Thomas Robert Simpson, what was his operating budget a few years ago? And he told me what it was and I said, you can't even live on that. You're running an organization on that? And, and you know, he said, yeah, that's what I got, right? And so he has no resources to develop, and yet he's been doing Afro Solo for 20 plus years. It's kind of amazing to me. So I would love to see us invest in the leaders of these different arts organizations, particularly the small ones. Um, uh, and then for the large ones, they are really trying to change their audience scope. They're trying to get access for young people who, uh, you know, my son goes to school of the arts, and you know they don't necessarily get exposure to go to the symphony. I mean, there's not even any, you know, uh, he's in SF Jazz. I'm sitting in SF Jazz. There's empty seats. I'm saying, why aren't there students sitting in those empty seats? Because they can't afford those tickets, but they need to be there. You know, so there's so many different pieces of this 
process that I would like to solve, and I don't have that much time in the day, neither do you, but I think if we could come up with some group of people who had uh, you know, gone through a foundational curriculum and were thinking about all of these issues on how you can accelerate arts and make it more inclusive at a very fundamental level, whether it's the audience or the performers themselves or you know, the development of the people who lead diverse arts organizations, um, and then I'll introduce one more thing that comes to mind is our cultural centers. So our, the leadership of our, our seven cultural centers probably could use all of this too. Um, and so I think that might be a, you know, a separate conversation, but I really, when I think about how we're driving culture in San Francisco, I really feel like we need to bolster all of the cultural centers, you know, the Baby Opera House, um, uh, this Soma Arts and the... Um, all seven of them, right? And so I don't think this is necessarily targeting that, but I would like us to make sure we're keeping them in mind in terms of this conversation because they do need um, uh, development in order to do better and have the impact that I think uh, uh, we would like them to have and they want to have in their communities. So anyway, so I'll rest there. I don't know that I've helped anything other than just saying, you know, I'm kind of focused on the fellows program, but I'd really like to see something uh, that draws in the reimagining leadership piece mm -hmm. so that the heads of some of these struggling arts organizations can get some support in their leadership abilities. Um, might I ask for some discussion around um, what existing funds are available for the very purposes that you were discussing? Um, it would be probably this committee that would, you know, I'm not going to call it any single organization, that would be looking at the leadership challenges associated with the grantee. And so I would look for both, you know, the um, grants for the arts and for the arts commission to help us to understand were we to um, want to discuss further Commissioner Parker Pennington's um, idea about mid-career, but that's actually, it's the the professional. It's different from the organization. It's, it's that sort of thing. Where is the intersection between this idea and what we already have in terms of resources to foster, in theory, the work that she's talking about? That, that's a good question. And um, because we have so many funding streams coming at us right now, that some of it is still still figuring it out. But if by narrowing what I'm, what's resonating, what I'm hearing is that you're very um, interested in helping the individual, whether or not that individual is up and coming or steeped in an organization with leadership, so that professional development for an individual. Um, so when you look at the other funding streams that we have through the Arts Impact Endowment, there is money for what we've titled Learning Institutes, so it's, it's professional development for individuals and organizations. So that's a way that we could potentially look at how this money can work concurrently together. And that may be how we look at sustainability long term, because what, it, what it's sounding me is professional development through an equity lens. And if that's, if that's basically what it is, then it kind of broadens the scope of what we have available to us to scale up and continue. And we haven't quite gotten there yet, because that is a pretty large we want to get through this piece, and then with those um, those funds that are allocated toward that work will be a probably large RFP, but it's great to have this conversation because that will help us shape it and, and look at it more intentionally long term. And then just specifically at Grants of the Arts, we do have a, um, a program called Grantee Services, which we grant to service providers to provide um, capacity building 
in all of its different forms to our various grantees. Um, and one of the things we're looking at is expanding that to include work and racial equity. So we're also seeing how this arts impact piece, endowment piece goes to see what we might provide some of those funds from that grantee services program to either complement or if perhaps one of these categories doesn't get selected by the commission, we might be able to fund it in a different way. Um, it's all very sort of like everything at Grants for the Arts. Right now we have a number of pilots and things we're experimenting with, um, but this collaboration with the Arts Commission has really been helpful to us and a lot of the work they've already done. Um, but it is that is a grant program that exists at Grants for the Arts that I think could either add to one of these categories or again, if one of these is not selected. I mean, I think for a number of organizations, leadership um, succession planning is an issue in all of its form, but um, in particular for those organizations um, that are really <laughs> driven by the founder, what's gonna happen when those founders that are working so closely in this area um, decide to retire or move on, who's going to step into those places? And I think that ties in with reimagining leadership, but it also ties in with the Arts Equity Fellows. If there's no one in early to mid-career who's had training in this area, how are they gonna fill those shoes in 10 to 20 years or yeah. something like that? So, so while this is one small piece of, the, of what we're finding, we're certainly looking at it and how we can expand that to be part of all of our grant programs, at least at Rents the Arts. You know, I would ask for some discussion around, you know, what Commissioner Parker Pennington was saying, but reimagining leadership is, in a sense, is that a subset of the same? Is how how are those differentiated? The dis the distinction, and, and I'll have Jaron pipe in. Um, but my understanding is that the um, arts equity fellow is more for the younger career person in, earlier in their career who are being placed. So predominantly, like a person of color being placed in the symphony for a period of time to help not only learn but help educate that, that entity, whereas the reimagining leadership is more along the lines of the organizational leadership capacity to building development of that. I think so it is what you're talking about is kind of a hybrid of both, um, but I'll let Jared add to that. The, um, the fellows are, are hosted at arts organizations, so they receive an equitable stipend along with transportation and health benefits. And the intention is that um, a mid or early career person would have the opportunity to learn some independent straight skills, understand the arts landscape and ecosystem. Um, I think the question is also um, regarding how we are building leaders of color within fellowships and opportunities to build capacity of our organizations with um, fellows as well. And then in terms of reimagining leadership, it's really about the organizations who inherently are invested in doing the deep equity work. They are often leaders of color in and of themselves, and this is ensuring that we are investing in equity work that is often invisible or not recognized by leaders of color. Um, a quick question on the Arts Equity Fellows. So the, is, in, in that column, as it's written at this moment, it, that is three individual fellows. This is what you guys would fund in this round, right? And okay, and then, um, yeah, I really like the idea of the hybrid because I think getting a fellow that's, that's getting possibly into a bigger organization or getting a technical 
um, knowledge um, and knowledge sharing, right, of what is cultural equity work, maybe from a smaller organization going into a bigger, very well-established organization and learning about their board practices and their administrative and all of that, but also that does feed into the leadership of these smaller, uh, of these other, like secession planning is really important. Um, yeah, I almost like the hybrid model of both. I think that they speak the hybrid model is a little bit more agnostic as to the position and the age. Is that correct? It could, it could be. I mean, these are all these are just theoretical. What we put in there, what we're estimating. Um, but I think what resonated me when Commissioner Parker Pennington, even when you look at a hybrid, it's also talking about could be intergenerational equity around intergenerational learning with one another. Uh, matching peer mentors, so some uh, early career individual who's going through the fellowship program could be then paired with someone like Sherry Young, who's got vast knowledge, who's also going through a similar program to develop her leadership. So I could see how we could really... And also, if we're looking at the general ecology, um, there is not a, a major organization yet that has this right. And I think by their own, not admission, but by their own understanding, um, and this could be a real co-learning process. You know, an individual who I'm not going to name is, it comes to my mind, when early in this individual's career, this individual worked in a large arts organization and understood the culture of it, the habits, a lot of the intersections about what it made it at least sustainable and trying to reach its artistic mission. Um, and that individual is a major leader, you know, in another context now that was in a sense, sense developed in a um, in a very in a very rich environment, right? And so, you know, when you have come into a less endowed environment and you're struggling against the realities of that every single day, and you've not necessarily seen another perspective, the other the other perspective can also gain because they're fraught with all sorts of issues of equity and language and history and programs mm -hmm. and identity. I mean. I see it on both. I see it as a multifaceted opportunity to work in that hybrid model, and to really think about more. You're looking about what would be the right matches, mm -hmm. and it could also create because everybody's in this together. You know, some very interesting opportunities mm -hmm. for um, some promises that have been made by large venture organizations to be more equitable. But what does that really look like? Mm -hmm. And, and we had, you know, we gave a high level. We didn't want to go too deep in any one specific one because we wanted to hear from all of you what resonated. And um, so it could be that we do have partnerships with larger institutions that may have some funds that could match um, some of the money that we're putting forward to help build it out as well, or, or make that a criteria, you know, sliding scale. And kind by of the way, when Jeff Jones thought about all this 30 years ago. This would never have been imagined. Because Jeff is the one who was thinking mm -hmm. the first place. Yeah. He was brilliant. Or he is brilliant. He's pressing, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I do love the idea as well about using the existing structures, right? Don't create, recreate the wheel. There's already cultural equity work being done, you know, deeply within long history of the city with the cultural organizations, whether they're virtual or not, but having some of those organizations be able to tap into. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe it's not, I don't, I love the nine-month fellowship, but obviously, you know, like each cultural uh, 
organization I and mean, each one of the arts commission's um, leaders they're running their own you know space they can't go off and do a fellowship somewhere but it would be nice to be able to um, expand their knowledge because they're already serving the community they're already they've already got cultural equity as their core mission um, how could we get them you know more knowledge um, more technical assistance a wider breadth of view in terms of boards donors right relationships partnerships um, how could we do that and support them in that in that without stressing them when they're already tapped out doing operational work I, I don't know that's just a question but I like that um, I would just say to the question of where these are other resources, and so I know Matthew spoke to their uh, the grantee technical assistance work they are doing. I would just say that there will there is new property funding for the cultural centers that the commission has yet to allocate and make decisions on. Obviously, as the grantees that have been stakeholders, there's an interest in seeing some of that funding come to them as general operating support. You know, I mean, the city just cost of living increases, whether it's healthcare or what have you, wages, salary those sorts of things. But, you know, there's enough money there. We've talked about some sort of capacity building fund. And so I think maybe once we have clarity about where this initiative is going, we could talk concurrently on a parallel track how we might allocate a portion of the new dollars for cultural centers to perhaps play a role within the initiative, right? So maybe it's helping resource those nonprofit cultural centers to be a party to the program, maybe it's to host a fellow, maybe it's, you know, whatever we might conceive of, and we want to maybe engage them, obviously, around that and having a focus group or a conversation to getting some sense of, you know, how we could use some of those new resources to, to parallel track with this allocation. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, to, to Matthew's point, there is, a, there is a real, also, under the leadership secession, area um, there's a lot of organizations that are 30 40 years old that are facing a lack of new leadership knowledge coming up right these so yeah I like the hybrid and I don't know what that looks like from uh, structurals I'm taking all the from some of the other members of the committee well I'm, I'm taking all of this in and um, I'm always thinking about some of our smaller organizations the red poppies of the world um, other organizations that um, tend to lose leadership after a year or even less because whoever might be in leadership there moves on to a, maybe another spot or another place within the, um, the arts universe here in the Bay Area. So identifying those and then how, and at least figuring out how they can be a part of, 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 of this process is one thing I'm thinking about constantly because I'm in touch with some of these smaller organizations and um, you know I've been sitting on the advisory um, council for grants for the, for the arts and a lot of great work has been been done over there over the last year under Matthew's leadership um, to address some of these concerns and so um, I'm sitting back and just listening and taking all this in and seeing how I can best um, be a spokesperson advocate um, for the communities I know I work with. And so that's really all I have to say right now. Yeah. 
I want us to find an additional two hundred twenty-five thousand. Or a You have to dream it to be it. So, I mean, once we have clear direction and know kind of what the financial implications are of it, then we can look creatively about blending those funding streams and then looking at our other partners for sustainability and that type of thing. So. You know, I think if we have something brilliant and innovative, I don't, I'm not as concerned about making it happen, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. All work magic. Yeah. All work magic. We, we, we have our magic wands out. Yeah. And, it, you know, I mean, I think, and, and I, I joke like that because, again, you all have done incredible work. Like, I think these three plans are phenomenal. Um, and I, you know, I agree. I think there should be, I think we should look at this hybrid model on the arts equity fellows and the reimagining leadership. Um, you know, I wonder, um, aside from the resources that Grants for the Arts are investing in the ecosystem and the Arts Commission, like, do we see do do we see the uh, the non-government um, philanthropy community funding initiatives similar to this currently, or would this be truly like both groundbreaking and then also maybe new opportunities for public-private partnership to look at long-term sustainability and growth? Yeah, and I'll invite uh, Jason to share some thinking, given that Jason's coming to the city from the Irvine Foundation and has that network. But I do know the Hewlett Foundation has recently, who frankly is the largest endowed funder for arts and culture in the Bay Area. They've just done a refresh on their strategy with a focus on advocacy and very much a clear kind of equity framework in terms of their investment and looking at it kind of almost through a community development lens and where is good work happening in communities, uh, communities of color, looking at their geographic distribution. And so it's still a work in progress, but we have been invited to be a part of a cohort of funders. And interesting, I think they've just been very thoughtful in working with PolicyLink to look at kind of a community development framework. and. Knowing that there's kind of a set finite amount of resources coming from private philanthropy based on endowments, but thinking about where is their money? So whether it's communities of opportunities and kind of new federal laws or uh, you know new market tax credit financing or development agreements. And so they've invited our colleagues at the Office of Economic and Workforce Development to be part of that group. And people who are dealing with the kind of development side of ways in which wealth is generated in communities and also is attention on gentrification on the other side. So right, like how to how do communities of color and artist communities get impacted by that development? So we know we've had some success with things like the Brookfield, formerly Forest City Development Agreement we brokered on the uh, 5M project. But I think Hugh is really thinking kind of we need to be more looking at like, models about how policy link has looked at racial equity within the arts and culture to have arts at the table in the broader community development framework on racial equity and not kind of being separate. So I think it's exciting, but to your question, to date, not that I know of, and I guess, I don't know if, Jason, you know of any funders that are specifically funding racial equity work and private philanthropy. I can't think of it. Not around specifically the arts. Um, uh, To jump back to your point, though, Roberta, uh, that the California Arts Commission, um, 
Arts, Arts Council, sorry. Um, they uh, did a joint venture with Irvine Foundation last year um, for a million dollars to invest in, in a, a fellowship program for people of color and, and other and other um, under-resourced geographic areas to work in nine host institutions uh, across the state. Um, and I actually have been in a small context once I uh, read the proposals of possibly having, if there is any money that would going directly towards the fellowship program, to extend two fellows specifically to the area, Bay Area of San Francisco, um, and therefore it would be a way to um, leverage the funding and the work that they're doing already and having all these institutions that are already on board to join this type of process so we wouldn't have to reinvent the wheel um, to one of the commissioner's um, states. Um, the other system, um, San Francisco Arts, uh, San Francisco Foundation as well as Urban Foundation previously piloted a program in which it was a peer learning, so somewhat to your point, um, from Commissioner of uh, it was a group of 16 organizations that met on an annual convening, two main convenings over the year, but also small particular um, meetings around specific target, target areas, so sometimes around finance, sometimes around audience development, sometimes around racial equity, in which they get to learn best practice from each of the organizations, how Afrosolo Thomas can speak to the person that works at the symphony about how do you garner new um, funding models, or also how do you get new audiences or continued audiences on the cultivation of like 20 years. So the, those that type of plan of putting towards the money around peer learning, I think is something that's also interested in the field and a lot of people are thinking about it. Really quick, I'm sorry, I know I'm chatty, but um, two of the words that I keep thinking of and I see it and I like it is pipeline. And um, because in mentorship, um, one of the things that I keep thinking about is that I was working with a nonprofit um, on their events and they had um, one of the stars from Hamilton show up. Their sector of nonprofit is education, but he's in the arts. And what he said was, I didn't know that I could have an education one. I didn't know I was going to go to high school or college, you know, higher learning was not for me. But he said, let alone, I didn't know I could have an education in the arts. So he ended up at an arts college and um, so, and, and went on to be a star. But the exposure, the, the, the peer learning, you know, the the introduction to, um, so I do think it's community development, I do think it's jobs, I do think it's it's introduction um, into the arts as, as a practice or as a occupation, as a pathway. Um, so pathway and pipeline to me are very powerful words um, that end up going into leadership. So those are, that pyramid I think is, is what I'd love to see, and again, the hybrid model, but you know, one going into the other. And one of the things that I would add to that, and it's a note that uh, Commissioner Ornella and I have been trading, the word mentorship. Because in a proper mentorship, it's a, it's a two-way street, mm -hmm. right? And so to remove the power relationship and to think that um, in, in this hybrid model, they can be learning on all sides. It's not a, a donative relationship. I mean, it's a true mentoring in both directions. Because often in these more established organizations, there's no one embedded that has the narrative. That's not true. But they don't have the power necessarily. So I think that, you know, thinking about this hybrid model and some of those key words, and not, again, taking it out of the bended knee relationship yes. and putting it on a much more bilateral relationship. 
because that's the nature of what has to be forward. Otherwise, forget the organization. They're useless if they can't really embrace, you know, the true notion of partnership. Mm -hmm. I just ask commissioners when you're talking at the hybrid model to think maybe what each of you are conceiving that could look like. And I know we're at a very high level, so without getting too into the weeds, I mean, are people kind of envisioning that there would be a grant to an organization partner and then a fellow that would also receive funding? And I think trying to keep within budget, trying to conceive of what that hybrid model looks like might be helpful to hear a little bit what people are thinking that could look like. Um, I was thinking that, okay, again, just taking, you know, um, the, the, the city's um, arts uh, community centers, you know, you've got, a, you've got an ED or maybe you've got some um, some people that are younger, mid-level, um, they can't leave their job, they're getting, so yeah, they would get maybe paid to be a fellow somewhere else at another bigger organization so that they could develop. Um, but then how do they, then there's a gap in the organizational structure within the um, community center itself. Like Bayview Opera House, mm -hmm. right? I don't even know what the organization, how many tiers of management is there, you know, or who could they develop within their organization? You know, if they're a team of three, then they cut off their left arm, their right mm -hmm. arm, right? It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a Sophie's choice. So, you know, how do you um, develop, how do you empower them to do that? And then, you know, and how do you develop the team while they're running the team? Yeah. Right, so that's, that's mm -hmm. you know, so I could see that being uh, some kind of idea. I think that's part of the, the whole discussion that an organization has because then you're offered the opportunity to develop another leader while the other one's getting training. So I think, I mean, just on based on that example right there, I think that's something that's part of the whole Probably. vision of a place to, mm -hmm. to, to grow, mm -hmm. to grow the leadership, to um, take it away from just, like, like Thomas Simpson's organization, it's really just him. Mm -hmm. But if he was to, um, I guess maybe that's a bad example, but if he was to take a leadership uh, training and there was someone else in this organization, then they would have maybe be going through training as well, in a way, if it was discussed and organized that way, so that there's that sort of building going on. Right, or like a number two for Joanna, right? yeah. for Zach Dance, right? Yeah, exactly. Zach has been 40 years with one leader. You know, you saw it with Lorraine Hansberry, you saw it with right? So what happens when these figureheads, um, mm -hmm. who are the fundraisers and the grant writers and the artistic directors, artistic directors yeah. and, and and plus 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 you know where's there's where's the next person who can take up learn some of those administrative skills um, for succession uh, or or for just capacity so that's that's so I think if I were designing this on a whiteboard, I would start um, the pipeline uh, in, uh, in grammar school, and you know, or at least high school, let's say high school, and um, say these are students, students at School of the Arts, for example, um, are coming out of various arts disciplines, and they're looking for role models, they're looking for um, exposure to people who are doing what they want to do, so they can see themselves in 
that field and um, and prospering. And so somebody, so I would envision these research fellows. I don't know. I mean, they're these fellows, but I think they have a lot of work to do to create the piping that will help take young people from school, you know, give them exposure to the arts and, you know, uh, give them, you know, role models, give them internships and paid opportunities, whatever, uh, in their field, and then take them through college, and then when they come out, they also have the opportunity to work permanently in these arts organizations and um, have mentorship from people in their field. Um, and so there's a, you know, take the funnel from, you know, the early stages of schooling where you identify that you want to be in the arts. And all, as we know, you know, a lot of young people, there, you know, their parents may or may not have money to give them, you know, violin lessons or, you know, filmmaking or whatever, whatever. So um, we have to provide that at some point. And this isn't all stuff that the Arts Commission or Grants for the Arts would do, but it's stuff that needs to be done. And we have to figure out who's doing what to help this group of potential artists actually be successful when they get through it and then run organizations successfully when they're running these organizations and you know increasing audience etc etc there's a lot of just issues around that so I just I don't know I, I tend to think of things as a systems process anyway just so I, I think of it so I'm hoping that with this first group of of fellows, they can design what this might look like in an ideal state, and then um, we can provide resources that are at our disposal. You know, do coalitions with these other organizations, private funders. You know, build the pool, get more money. I'm with you on, on that because there is more money, and there are other organizations trying to do this. So it's really just a matter of tapping into those and, and collaborating to make it happen. Um, you know, build an app for not having empty seats at SFJS. I mean, I just, I was obsessed about this. It's like, damn, these seats, $75, why are they empty? Give some kids a chance. Get an app. Oh, it's, you know, it's from the quality. It's, you know, we have seats. Get it to the, you know, students. Um, so anyway, and maybe, you know, public-private partnership, one of these smart tech companies has an engineer who can build that app, right? So we wouldn't have any empty seats. We'd have students. Uh, in the symphony filling those seats or whatever. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that could be done uh, in this area if we have people that are, you know, being subsidized uh, to to make them really think about this deeply and, and, and build the right thing. Yeah. I wonder, it seems like it's kind of sometimes it's difficult to, for every organization to have a top-level person that's more experienced and especially for a small organization, right? And if, and if that main person leaves, it leaves a vacuum. Is there other ways to look at it where there's just, lack of a better word, a professional, somebody that's been doing this for a while that could watch over a few organizations and give advice, like great advice, somebody that's really well experienced rather than, because some of these organizations probably don't need a full-time person at that level, but they could certainly could use some really good um, knowledge from someone that's really well experienced. So this way, it's worth it spending-wise, rather than each one to hire a full-time, you know, like a consultant type of kind of like a consultant that that looks, you know, that goes into organization. Like, okay, here are the things you need to pay attention to. Here are the things, and there's like, you know, timelines and things to to, to go through. I'm just thinking, like, could be like 
money well spent um, to help a lot of the smaller organizations and to kind of make them look at the, uh, the bigger picture and something helps them for the future. That's kind of what the fellows' idea is, right? In a way. You tell us. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the fellows, the artistic fellows, in theory, would have this sort of historical knowledge uh, based on other organizations that started small, grew, uh, other examples throughout the, the universe of the nation, and be kind of consultants in a way. Um, I, so I totally kind of see what you um, and this is res resonating a lot, especially with Commissioner Parker Pennington about the continuum. And, and we're just right now talking with one small bucket of a lot of other buckets that we have. So when we think about continuum through the arts education arm, um, we have a Creative Pathways grant, which would provide stipends for youth working in arts organizations, which would then could potentially feed into this fellowship program as well as what is the intergenerational learning grant category through the arts, so supporting organizations that basically provide learning to not only youth and children, but seniors and everywhere in between. Um, and then that could then feed into the reimagining leadership type of, you know, so kind of us taking a step back and looking at the gaps and what we currently have and how this could fill those gaps and to, com to complete that circle of, of learning. And then with what um, Commissioner Moosley was saying, um, you know, that is something that I think the sector is looking at as a whole is a kind of a shared back office, whether it's, a, you know, we're talking about administrative support, um, but then what about the leadership support? So it could be something like that where it is a mentor working with multiple organizations. Um, and I think it's also important to note that, you know, the community is very small and close-knit, and I think there are people who are already working in that capacity and doing it for free. So how do we then support that kind of, that hard labor that they, they're already doing, um, and giving them that space, um, especially when they already have a job and they're working and they're going to do it anyways, but then how can we alleviate that pressure, whether it is through additional, like a stipend and that type of thing. So this is a great conversation. Thank you. Do you think that you have um, some input that we can we can work with at this point? Do you feel that there's been enough discussion at the commission level? I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Are you excited? Jason, excited? How, how do you feel about it? Has this helped to move the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think this hybrid is interesting. I'm just hearing a number of the commissioners speak. I mean, I think some of the larger arts organizations could probably spare a staff person, like someone early in their career, to go to a, I'm just speaking of Afro-Solo and Thomas. I just met with them the other day, and we offered to send them to a number of workshops and trainings, and he's like, I'm one person. I can't, he said, I can't go to all these sorts of things. But if a fellow came from, like, for example, from ECT, mm -hmm. to be with him at Afro-Solo for nine months to help pull his knowledge, kind of catalog it in some way, might be interesting rather than sort of reverse. Mm -hmm. ECT, the symphony, the opera, they could potentially lose a staff person for nine months to go work in one of these maybe smaller budget organizations, but I think, I think it's great. And it's not an either or, is it? I mean, right. It's really working out that, that dynamic relationship. Yeah. And, and I think what I've heard, I mean, the other thing that I like about a grant competition is we could structure an RFQ that allows people to present within the framework of what we've heard today, right, their own proposal. So that we don't, I mean, I think one of the things too is leaving open the space for people to tell us what they need, what works best for them. We could, I mean, I think the parameters
partners are pretty well aligned here is the hybrid and taking the kind of two ideas. Obviously, we need to set up the, the kind of size of those grants to resource the work that would be aligned, but I think we could leave open you know, the idea that we're, you, you can present an organizational partnership with an individual fellow and, and you come to us and you present what you think would be best serving your advancement of racial equity and clearly asking them to define how you would benchmark your growth mm -hmm. and your capacity around racial equity. Some proposals might emphasize the individual's growth professionally more for their potential for you know being a future leader. Another proposal might talk about how it's serving their succession planning with a racial equity value or you know I think we could kind of shape an RFQ that gives the opportunity for all the people doing this work and interested in moving it forward to kind of present to us innovations and how that would look. And it could probably, they could be distinct as long as their the budget's aligned with their scope proposal well. Um, and then we might learn things from that group and we could come back and say, hey, that's replicable in our new arts education strategy. So I think to your point, Commissioner Walker Pennington, what's really gonna be exciting about the Arts Impact Endowment is we have a whole new bucket of about $800,000 for arts education. And we've thought about that in intergenerational learning. So a lot of what I've heard today that maybe wouldn't show up in those like final applications and the awarded proposals, we might be able to apply into the guidelines for the new arts education bucket, right? So there are new buckets of funding and the core operating support is another bucket of that. So hopefully we'll be successful tomorrow in getting that money off of reserve and then we can begin that work and it'll be, I think, really a concurrent thing. But it might be in, in great to see what comes in just from a proposal level to take it. You know, let people tell us what they're within parameters, what, what would best serve them. And, and this is very much in line with the way that we've been moving within um, community investment. So Program Officer Debbie Ng, who oversees our um, cultural equity initiative grants, we're, we're migrating that into a general operating grant with a very similar model of, of professional development, cohort learning that, you know, so I think as this develops, we can see how it kind of infuses all of our grant making and then work intentionally together so that 225 could potentially grow into something bigger or more substantial that then supports all of our ground making more intentionally. Yeah, and just this doesn't have to do with anything other than I'm so in yeah. agreement with you about the SF Jazz, like why are there empty seats? Why is you know um, African American Shakespeare company you know in ACT not doing a mashup because they're both doing Shakespeare. They both their audiences love Shakespeare. Why are they not? You know, why is soda not filling? Why, why are soda students in the SF Jazz seats that are empty? They're going to be empty anyway. Wouldn't you rather just have a jazz lover who's going to see someone like Marcus playing and be like, I'm going to be too when I grow up, right? He's already a mentor. We're signing him up. That peer learning and everyone sitting in a room and saying, okay, what, what do you have for me? After solo, and what do I have for UACT? Right, back and forth, and this is reciprocity. Yes. You know, I'd like to thank, on behalf of the committee, um, Commissioner Parker Pennington for really being deeply involved for months now, and also on the staff side. You know, for you all who have been really uh, bringing these ideas forward and helping us to crystallize them. And this is a discussion that I think. Uh, could go on for a long time, and hopefully it will be, because you've kind of lit the match now, and making sure that we carry the ball. And you'll need to let us know how we can support the next steps. Are you, you stay involved in that? Is that correct? 
Thank you. Is there any further discussion on the committee side before I ask? Is there any public comment on what has been discussed here around the racial equity plan? Seeing none, thank you for the director's report. <laughs> Thank you for all your good May I now move on to agenda item number four, the Ebony McKinney Leadership uh, Arts Leadership Grant. You're welcome to stay. I mean, all we're going to do is about to. Thank you. 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 Uh, 191AC35 by $5,000 to Juliana Delgado, repair authorized by resolution number 05061919 and authorized the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into a grant agreement for an amount not to exceed $20,000 at this time. Could we get a little discussion on that, please? Yeah, I'll defer to Barbara. It's a technical, and this is the same allocation that you've already awarded, but it's a different structure to consolidate grants, and I don't know if, Barbara, you want to add anything to that? Just to give a little bit of background, um, this past cycle for the um, Ebony McKinney grant, what is now a grant, um, it was a mistake in vernacular using the word award, which created a lot of um, challenging bureaucratic processes. So we were advised that um, in order to provide the $5,000 Grant. Grant. <laughs> to um, Juliana, that the best thing to do would be to amend the current individual artist grant. And knowing that next year we'll move forward with the guidelines, we'll be very clear in the vernacular that we use and that it's a grant, not an award. Thank you very much. Is there any discussion on this proposed action? Is there any public comment? Seeing none, may I call for a motion? So moved. Second. Any further discussion? May I call the motion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Aye. We'll now move to agenda item number seven. This is a rather lengthy number of special grants. Agenda item five. I'm five. sorry. Uh, five. Um, there are 32 items in there. So we will go through each one of them. Um, but as I am reading the action, uh, would you also make sure that there are any items uh, against which you might have to accuse yourselves, yourselves, okay? And so, I'm just going to jump into the context on these. So as you all may recall, um, thanks to the generosity of our Board of Supervisors, um, we have seen an unprecedented number of district supervisor addbacks as a part of the city's budget process. So these are discretionary allocations of funding made by um, in the cases of a district allocation, it's made by that district supervisor. In the case of the citywide allocations, that is either a partnership between two supervisors or a cohort of supervisors using the citywide ADVAC fund uh, or pool. Um, and so here you see we did our special um, uh, 
we did our special project grant RFP last month or two months ago now, I think. Um, and so these are the recommendations. And I think from our advisement as an attorney, we don't need to read each of these, but you could say as advised. Um, but it would be good to know if any, any commissioners, sorry, you just all got a promotion, um, <laughs> any commissioners needed to recuse themselves from any of these specific sub-items. Uh, sub Thank you. I uh, actually do have some potential conflicts, so I will ask for my recusal on sub-items number 13, 15, 19, 20, and 27. Um, these items pertain to fresh meat productions um, or queer cultural center. Um, both of those organizations rent space from my employer, the SF LGBT Center, um, and that may pose a financial conflict of interest for me. So I will not be participating in discussion um, or vote on that potential motion. And did you say sub item 27 as well? Correct. Okay. Are there any other recusals on behalf of the committee members? So let me say this is a special projects grant, the action discussion possible motion with three recommendations to 34 special project grants funded by the district supervisor, ADVAX, and to the following organizations and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter into grant agreements with each organization for the amounts not to exceed as listed below. Um, so may I first ask for uh, any public comment on any of these actions? Seeing none, may I then ask for us to remove items 13, 15, 19, 20, and 27 and allow us as a full committee to take those items and then the other three we will, other five we will um, as for the recusal of Commissioner In Commissioner Collins, there was a slight typo. So for the first um, special project grant action number five, those are actually 32, and the two other ones are a separate action under So, um, So it's 32, and if um, Commissioner Ordinanya recuses himself on the first action, it would be the 20... Twenty-eight. Twenty-seven. 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 So, so noted. <laughs> so, yeah, for the time, so for the minutes, if you could just make that correction, that we're voting on 27 items. Okay. We're, out of the 1 through 32, severing sub-items under item 5, sub-items 13, 15, 19, 20, and 27. Oh, no, go ahead. He, he was asking. Oh, no, no, no. You got it? Yeah. Great. No, I just had a quick question on when something um, is not specified in terms of a single art project, then that, then that will be um, part of the process. Is there, there is an item, is there a specific item you're referring uh, to? It says first voices in country thousand thousand three. Sub item number 21. And it's citywide, right, which is uh, multi-neighborhoods. And it says First Voice, Inc., 100,000 for Asian Pacific Islander programming. But that programming is unspecified, so I'm just saying it's going to be developed later or at, at 
Yes. yes. So you'll see there's two items to First Voice Inc. So they received a, uh, there is a right. District 5 add-back that was for youth storytelling and mentorship yeah. that they were the successful applicant for. And then there was an RFQ for Asian Pacific Islander programming that was citywide open to anyone to apply to, and they are being recommended for that award as well. Great. Thanks. And, and to give a little more context, if the number 21 is both a general operating and some programmatic support, whereas the... Um, the number six is specifically for a program with a specific population. It's more defined. So let's accept that the language um, will be refined as the grant is actually made. Yes, I, it's important to note that with all grants, the scope would include a budget. So whether it's general operating or not, we would still be specific to what sort of items can be reimbursed for under that grant. Is there any further discussion? So we are going to be voting on 27 items with the exclusion of 13, 15, 19, 20, and 27. May I hear a motion? Second. Is there a second? Second. Any further discussion? May I call the motion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All those opposed? None. Motion carries. We will now have discussion and possible motion to approve recommendations to five special project grants, as stated before. Those five are items number 13, 15, 19, 20, and 27. Is there any discussion on those items? Is there any public comment? May I hear a motion, please? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Uh, now, uh, there is also an item under sub Yes, so there's, this is still item five. This is the second action under item five. Um, discussion possible motion to approve recommendations to award two special project grants to the following organizations and to authorize the Director of Cultural Affairs to enter in grant agreements with each organization for amounts not to exceed the following. And there is 30,000 um, to support citywide support for arts education providers from, to the Arts Education Alliance of the Bay Area. And then the second is uphill arts for um, 56,000 for a citywide anti-tagging program for youth. So the first is, um, uh, the broad support for the Arts Education Alliance of the Bay Area for their work in hosting uh, a number of different technical assistance supports, but one, one of those is primarily the uh, Arts Providers Fair that happens at the, um, is that included? No, sorry, I'll defer to Barbara. So this specific grant it includes funding to support the um, the everyday, every way after school providers com um, conference that we do in January. Is that January? November. Um, so that's what this is inclusive of that plus the technical systems and professional development they offer to the sector as a whole. And the second one, so item two, is the funds we receive from the Department of Public Works uh, for the anti-tagging curriculum that we do throughout the city and SFUC public schools. But is this at some point called where art lives? It is, yes. That's essentially the same thing. Very good program. Yes. Yeah. Terrific program. Um, so uh, Director Duquini has read the action. Is there any discussion on these two items? Any public comment? So may I call for a motion? Is there a second? Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? 
motion carries. May I now move along to agenda item number six, the 2020 and 2022 San Francisco Arts Commission review panelists. I think Commissioner Parker Pennington may have at some point during commission um, wanted to know about the updating and all this. So could you just give a nice little plenary view of why it is that we have this long panel and how it's populated over time? Um, so our panels, as, as you may recall, are all um, peer review. So the funding is recommended by a panel of peers. Um, we do an open call where anyone in the community could um, enter their information, which includes their understanding of equity and that type of, and kind of the sectors they serve and, and different demographics. Um, and so we approve all of those um, at once. And then as we set up our panels, um, the, the staff kind of curates through those spreadsheets to find out what the best fit is for each each of those panels that we do. Um, and, and so there's a lot, because not only do we draw from them, but also our public art um, department can also draw from them. So we're trying to be more standardized and streamlined that we can work with each other to pull the different panelists. Does that answer your question, or do you have? And uh, a question, because people were asking me, is, is there a, a stipend or are they compensated in some way? Yes, so um, panels that are chosen uh, to sit on a panel receive approximately $30 per application they review. So, and um, each panel ranges from, depending on the category, from about 20 to maybe 40 applications that they review. Um, but it does not, just because they're approved, does not guarantee that they'll be chosen for a panel. But they'll be on the, the list for several years to draw from. And also, it's um, I think it's standard procedure that members of the commission can sit on these panels. Are they mm -hmm. approved per se, or do they need to be specially uh, added? That's a good question. I think we've extended it. In my tenure, we've extended the invitation, but the commissioners tend to be super busy. Um, so I don't think in my tenure we've had a commissioner sit on it. Director Decay, do you recall? Not during your tenure, but over the years, we certainly have. I mean, it's a lot of work, and commissioners unfortunately cannot get the honorarium. So that's also <laughs> one of the challenges is that it's all the work without the honorarium. No parking. <laughs> we do feed you really well. Yeah, you get lunch. Um, what I can say, yeah, I've done two. Would you, would you right. just talk about the experience, Commissioner? Yeah, um, well, um, when I did them, they were probably 15 years ago, <laughs> but um, and it's probably about it's like two year, two days. We try to not we try to make it one day if at all possible. It just depends on which category because there is you get so saturated after after one day. Um, but there are some of our categories are two day long panels. Yeah. and we had some three day too, didn't we? Yeah. One thing I can say is that the level of of expertise that comes to us from the general public and also from the professional communities. I sat on one where uh, it was the Native American panel and because the expertise, some of the expertise was in Washington State, uh, we had people coming from other states because they were that good and it was that important. So I would really applaud you know, the work that goes on. Basically, it's Bay Area, mm -hmm. but where there needs to be a level of expertise that exceeds the capacity within the local region, they'll go outside and make sure that the right people are there. So you know, I, I encourage you to read this because these are just 
some staff to sit there and take a resume and a curriculum. Boiled it down. You know, and boiled it down. If you ever want to see any of the details, just go look at the files. It's very impressive. I will say that it's a, it's a very rigorous um, review of, of projects and grant proposals. And the one thing that separates this one, I think, from any that I've been on, and I've been on a lot, Zellerbach, I've been on, you know, Brands for the Arts now. Actually, Brands for the Arts is the same. It's, it's a mm-hmm. um, um, sunshine laws, and so if you applied, you can sit there and, and watch them deliberate over your grant. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a little different, um, and it adds another element to the whole process mm-hmm. because the person you might be talking about might be sitting right there. Uh, I've been on the other side as an artist. Oh, I had someone go for me. <laughs> I couldn't do it as, as they were reviewing the grant process. But um, that's, that's actually a good thing, and I think it's different from, any, from most grants. Yeah, I would suggest that in your, in your time of being on the commission, one of the things that, say, visual arts or others are, that are more granular in their actual grant making, um, you know, the depth that the staff goes through, I think it's just a great experience because you then see how the whole cycle works and also how the peer review. Um, so when it comes to us, it has had not only the staff review, but the peer review, mm-hmm. which may be not adverse, but may be somewhat different than staff. So it's a very dynamic process. And I would say we can make sure that commissioners get the agenda for when those those public panels are happening. So rather than perhaps having to read all the proposals and sitting through a whole day or even two days of actual deliberation, you could pop in even for 30 minutes or 40 minutes and see two or three proposals get reviewed and get a real sense of how it works. And and it really is about the democratic process so that it's not just staff who are doing that review. It's staff check for eligibility and making sure that the proposals are within alignment to our city requirements and to our specific uh, request for proposal eligibility requirements. But then you can really see kind of the debate as, as Commissioner Shelby has stated, you know, there's usually a debate about the quality of the artistic work or of the resume and the CV, and uh, and then the criteria are very clear in terms of what people are scoring for. But it's a great way to see it without needing to actually serve, given that the honorary isn't being able to be afforded to commissioners. It's a chance to kind of come in and get a sample of what it looks like and, and how that deliberation happens. And are they serving on the panels for the full year, or is it in like a six-month or... No, it's one day. It's one oh, of the days. The, They're eligible based on this vote that you'll be making today. Anyone here is eligible for service on any Arts Commission panel over the two-year window. The two-year. This okay. fiscal year and next fiscal year. And at the City Attorney's Advisement, we were approving panelists for Public Art at the Visual Arts Committee and then approving the same people at the Community Investments Committee. And they actually made the suggestion we didn't need to be deferential to how what panels they served on. Mm-hmm. So now you see the motions written to be more generalized access so any you know the galleries the public art program the community investments programming any grant we put out these individuals can serve um, because what we found is a lot of times you know people who might be on our visual art visual arts panel for individual artist commissions would make a great public art panelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important, and I know of recent events, to just clarify for the public, it is always the commission that finally makes the legal allocation 
based on your votes. So uh, in these are our recommendations. Um, I think the process is very thorough and we see really great thoughtful recommendations coming to the commission, but it is then the commission at this committee that approves grants. And the Coastal Equity Endowment, we tend to bulk um, our insurance in April of every year, right? When we have our May, April or May. April is our, our month where we, it's kind of the monumental meeting where we approve all funding recommendations at once. And we already have that date scheduled, yes. April 28th. Make sure to double check your calendars. Um, and I mean, we've done some kind of significant shifts over the past few years to kind of streamline but what we heard from the commissioners is that when we came to different commission meetings with approvals for different categories, they didn't quite get the sense of the over the scope of everything that we did. So by doing it, most of them all at once, um, it kind of gives a, a better context of the amount of, of who we're funding and what it's for and kind of the breadth of that work. And just to go back to Commissioner Shelley's comment, um, our panel process is a national model, a national equity model that, that people try to replicate. It's a very heavy lift for staff because they're curating the panels. Um, because we've done more intentional outreach over the past few years, the number of, of applications have soared, so that required us to increase the number of panels we did by at least 10% last year, right? Um, which then has the burden of getting more panelists and more resources. Um, but then affording, you know, we've thought of different models of how, how can we streamline it and, you know, make it less onerous, but what we've found is really that model is what we do for equity because it allows the application to come in and hear which is an incredible learning experience. But then also if you're a panelist and you're you know, going to be an applicant at one point in time, it really helps you become a better grant writer as well. And I think for when I first came um, into this position, it was such a learning opportunity to understand what the sector was needing and kind of the issues that rose. And it's just an incredible learning opportunity for everyone involved. Um, so definitely, if you have an opportunity to, to sit on it, it's incredible. And as the program officers facilitate those conversations with the panelists, which is a very, very um, delicate and heavy lift for them. And um, you know, I really applaud them for for alleviating me from that duty. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> is there any further discussion on this agenda item? Then may I? Um, this is the 2020 motion. Uh, is there any further discussion? Is there any public comment? Seeing then, may I have a motion on agenda item number six? Second. Is there a second? Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. May I now move to agenda item number seven, new business and announcements. Is there any public comment? Seeing then, is there any comment from the commission from the members of the committee? Yes, I would like to share. So, um, as you know, for the past 10 weeks, we've been executing a pretty heavy lift of uh, initiative, American Indian Initiative, the Continuous Thread. Um, we are, I'm, it's a little bittersweet. I'm happy to report this is our last week of the official initiative. So Friday here in the galleries, we have uh, poet laureate Kim Shuck who will be reading along with Jewel Gomez and a couple of other poets, kind of the last event the gallery is hosting within the, the continuous thread. Um, but then our finale event is happening Sunday at City Hall in the Rotunda, and it's the Indigenous Fashion Show with Patricia Michaels, Shosho Spiro, and Leah Mata. Um, we'll have um, an incredible, if you came to our opening, gallery opening 
uh, the, the singer of the Red Lightning Women, singer Aurora Maman, who also participated in the, the uh, project, will be singing a cappella. Um, and the underlying theme of it is to honor murdered and missing indigenous women and to raise awareness around those, those social issues um, in relation to that. So I would highly recommend and, and invite you to come and, and witness the, the tying of the bow as we move on with the initiative. So thank you for your support for all of that. Thank you. I mean, I think it comes with tremendous appreciation on our part for the level of personal passion that you put into your professionalism. And the product of all of this is really unfolding. I think for those of us who have watched this initiative for several years and looking at the thin infrastructure that we had a decade ago and to think about where we are today, We've moved the needle to some degree, and there's much more to be done. But you're to be congratulated for, um, you know, for how creative you've been. <laughs> now, I would like to say that on behalf of the commission, I hope that we welcome Lynette White as the new director of the Museum of the African Diaspora, mm -hmm. and to find ways in which we can welcome her into our arts ecology. She's a person who comes sort of from outside of the formal arts curriculum um, canon, uh, but knows a lot about our community. And I think all levels of outreach and partnership and, you know, and, and part, uh, requests for friendship and collaboration would be well received by her. She's a firecracker. Yes. We love her. Um, I'd like to know something. Um, if you guys have time to check out uh, Chase Center you know, for the holidays for the entire month. War game? No. <laughs> it's actually a nice thing to check out at night. Uh, we did the projection mapping and lighting of the entire center. Mm. And it's a, kind of a beautiful sight to look at. It's massive. So, is, it, is it every night? It's, oh, it's, it's outside. Open. It's in the plaza. It's in the plaza. In the plaza? In the plaza? Yeah. In the Thrive Plaza. Uh, the, the new Chase Center Plaza. Thrive, it's called Thrive, right? Yeah. Oh, it is. They're trying to do like um, Toronto with the, their outside park, their mm -hmm. Jurassic Park. So one thing I want to get on your radar, even though it's way out there, on January 31st, Friday night, at the Rutasawa School of the Arts, uh, Commissioner Shelby and I are collaborating on a program, and it is going to be a concert um, uh, featuring the Soda Jazz Orchestra and the jazz um, vocal groups um, conducted uh, by our very own Commissioner Shelby. And it is going to be kickoff for Black History Month, and it's the first time that um, Soda has actually done anything at this scale. And um, Marcus and I have been actually talking about this for a few years because his daughter is also a senior at SOTA, like my son is. So this is our last shot to get this thing <laughs> done. Um, and so before the actual concert, which starts at 7, at 6 o'clock, um, uh, Mr. Shelby is actually going to do a little talk on Duke Ellington. So he's going to do a lecture that um, he's done many times before. He could talk for days and months about Duke Ellington, uh, but he's going to get it into 60 minutes before that concert. So you'll get a formal invitation, but I just wanted to put it on your, your radar because you all should come to Soda for this, for no other reason. Promoter right here. <laughs> 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 
seeing them, then we've got the last agenda item, which is adjourned. Okay.